Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, you're going to jump right into it. Do a quick review. And it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we looked at two weeks ago, Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Today, we'd say the spirit of man is the flashlight of the Lord. It's how he leads people today. Psalm 18, 28 says, for you will light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. So the way God will illuminate you, the way God will lead you, the way God will guide you is through your spirit. You are a tripart being. You are not a body. You are a spirit. Say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. So when we get things out of order or we think that we are a body or a mind, we won't do what God has called us to do. Your soul is your mind, your will, and the very seat of your emotions. Notice you have a mind, you aren't, you aren't a mind. So if you give yourself completely into your thought lives, you will mess up because you're not your thought life. You are a spirit. Notice it's the very seat of your emotion. People get in trouble when they let their emotions have them. You're not supposed to let your emotions have you. You're supposed to have your emotions. You live in a body. Don't let your body tell you everything to do. Sometimes your body may want what's right. Sometimes your body might want what's wrong. You are a spirit. You tell your body what to do. You tell your body what to want. You regulate what you do. So we must be more spirit conscious if we expect to be successful Christians in this life. And so the way God will lead us is not through our body. It's not through our mind. It's not through our emotions. He'll lead us through our spirit. A lot of people miss leadings and guidings from God because they're expecting something spectacular on the outside. They're expecting spectacular, spectacular, something in the sky to turn green and purple and lightning. That would be great, but that's not how he normally leads us. If you want to be led by God every single day of your life, you have to learn to listen to your heart. You have to learn to listen to your spirit. We talked about two weeks ago the inward witness, which is not necessarily a voice, but it's a leading on the inside. Majority of all people have heard, had it before because when they do something they're not supposed to do, they're like, oh, man, something told me not to do that. It wasn't a something, it was a someone. It's an inner knowing. It's an inner intuition. It's the spirit of God dealing with your spirit. Then there's the still small voice, which is the voice of your conscience. Your spirit has a voice, and your spirit will communicate. It's still and small, so some people miss it because they don't learn how to quiet out their mind or quiet out their emotions or quiet out what their body is yelling at them. And then there's the more authoritative voice of the Holy Ghost that when you hear it in your heart, it's more, it's not audible, but on the inside, it's like, oh, I know I just heard from God. So these are the three main ways God will lead your spirit on a day-to-day basis. And so we looked at how different examples on part one of how God stirred up or raised up the spirits of individuals for the purpose of building his house. In other words, God stirred up their spirits to give them a heart for the house. Let's go to John 14. God will deal with their spirit about a number of issues. But one area he will deal with their spirit is concerning building his house. He will deal with their spirit concerning serving in his house. He will deal with their spirit where it concerns giving in his house. John chapter 14. 
Verse 16. Notice what Jesus says here. And I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter. When he's saying another comforter, he's saying I'm the comforter, but there's a one who's coming to me, same quality of comforter, just like I am. That he may abide with you forever. Who is the comforter? The spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him, not neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Two of the definitions of the comforter that we'll look at today is one who is called alongside to help. One who is called alongside to help. Or an assistant. One who is called alongside to help. Or an assistant. Understand this about the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Since he's the one who's called alongside to help. Or he's the assistant. He will not do what you're supposed to do. The Holy Ghost will not do for you what you're supposed to do for yourself. It's a partnership. The Holy Ghost has his part. You still have your part. The Holy Ghost has come alongside to help you and to assist you. Now, Marvin, you can pass me the ball. See, the Holy Ghost, through the ministry gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, through what he does every single Sunday and Wednesday here. He will coach you from the sidelines what you need to do. But you still need to get on the court. During the week, you need to be doing what you've been coached to do. And so when you get on the court, the Holy Ghost will even get on the court with you. He will be Scotty Pippen. He will assist you. Sorry, Pistons fans. I know it's been decades, but we still got to move past that. The Holy Ghost will give the assist, but you still need to be Michael, and you still need to dunk it. The Holy Ghost will not dunk it for you. The Holy Ghost will not lay it up for you. You must get on the court and go and drive towards the hole. The Holy Ghost will coach you. He'll give you the assist, but it's going to be up to you to do what you're supposed to do. He will not do it for you. Say, the Holy Ghost will not do it for me. Say, I have a responsibility. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul's praying that God will grant you according to the riches or the abundance of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. The inner man is another term for your heart or your spirit. The Holy Ghost will strengthen you on the inside, but he won't do it for you. Say, the Holy Ghost will strengthen me, but he won't do it for me. Philippians 4.13, everybody loves this verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. See, I can do is I have the power to do or I am able to do. So he said, I have the power to do all things. I am able to do all things through Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ describes who he is. Christ means the anointed one. And he can't talk about the anointed one without talking about his anointing. Who is Jesus anointed with? The Holy Ghost. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So this verse of Philippians 4, 13 is not talking about Jesus, for example, but it's talking about the Holy Ghost who was on him. The anointing that was upon him. The anointing of the Holy Spirit he was anointed with. You can do all things through the anointing. 
You can do all things through the power of God. You have the power to do all things through the anointing. You are able to do all things through the anointing, but still, he won't do it for you. Say, I can do all things. I have the power to do all things through the anointing, through the power of God. But the Holy Ghost won't do it for me. He'll give you the power. He'll stir you up. He'll coach you. He'll assist. But you still got to do it. Notice even Acts 10, 38, after God anointed Jesus, as he went about doing good. So Jesus didn't just get anointed and go, oh, I'm anointed. Wake up every morning, I'm anointed. Everybody, I'm anointed. Hey, next door neighbor, I'm anointed. He went about with that anointing. He put the anointing to work. You must put the anointing to work. Say, I must put the anointing to work. See, the anointing is not just for you to have goosebumps. Ooh, I had a spiritual experience at church. God moved. I experienced God. Okay, good. What did you do with your experience during the week? Oh, I received an impartation. What did you do with that impartation? Oh, pastor, bless the work of my hands. Well, did you go work? See, a lot of people want their hands blessed, but they stay at home. I'm not talking about you working from home and having your own job at home or working through your computer. I'm talking about you just sitting on the couch watching your TV all day. God won't do it for you. You got to put it to work. Say, I must put the anointing, put the power of God to work. The Holy Spirit enables, but you must step out and do. The Holy Spirit will stir your heart, but you must act upon his stirring. He will stir you up to do what he's called you to do, but you must respond. He will stir you up to serve and give, but then you must step up to serve and give. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Hey, Mark, you take this back to me. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. The Holy Ghost will empower you, but you must do it. Don't waste your power. Don't waste your anointing. Put it to work. Notice what it says here. And God has set some in the church. First apostles. How many think apostles are anointed? Prophets. How many think prophets are anointed? Thoroughly teachers. How many think teachers are anointed? After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Wait a minute. If apostles are anointed, prophets are anointed, teachers are anointed, people think people who work miracles and work gifts of healing, as you see happen on Sunday and happen in different offices. He's like, oh, well, that must be anointed. That must mean helps is anointed. If apostle, prophet, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, diversity of tongues, governments is supernatural, that means helps. Is supernatural. The word helps here, it means laying a hold of. It means to aid. It means to assist. You say, well, what is helps? If it helps, it's helps. You know, the thing is, the praise and worship team, that helps. The ushers, that helps. The parking lot, that helps. Some of you have little kids, and this is your first break from them all week long, that helps. It's the ministry of helps. 
We call it here Team Faith because together everyone accomplishes more. We understand we're better together. But it's all of us together. It takes all of us. Not just a few of us. Because if all of us are working together, then fewer people get tired out. People get burned out when not enough people step up. Look, I don't know why they look so tired to come to church because they're doing your work and someone else's too. And theirs. It takes all of us. Because you're anointed for what he's called you to do in the house of God and outside the house of God. You have an anointing to serve in this house. Where there's a number of people who've never put that anointing to work. You have gifts and talents and skills that God has given you. But have you put it to work? See, I get the best amens from this from the people who serve all the time. They're like, you better preach. Go for it, Pastor. Let it go. Let it go. Let it rip. Say it again. There's the people who don't serve are like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you want people to think that you serve, that you're really involved, just shout amen with the rest of them. He said, well, Pastor, I I really want to say that I serve by the end of the sermon. Then you want to text serve to 770-756-8539. That's serve to 770-756-8539. You have an anointing to help and assist. Thank you, Sister Tanya, one of my coaches back there. She is helping by putting that up just so that you guys can help too. We got people who you watch online, you watch from another state, so I can't come to the building, sir. But if you text that number, we'll find something for you to do in California and Indiana and Illinois. Those of you watching from Europe and Africa, we got stuff for you too. Just go ahead and text that number. You have an anointing to help. And to assist, the Holy Ghost has anointed you and is stirring you for that purpose. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. The Holy Ghost will anoint you, but he won't do it for you. He'll help you, he'll aid you, he'll give you the grace for it, the strength for it, the wisdom for it. But you got to step out and do it. You say, well, I'm just tired on Sunday morning. And so is everybody else who comes. <laughs> Me too. You know, I woke up at 4 a.m. You know, I had to literally roll myself out, like literally, physically, hit the ground. Come on, move. So what do you do? You step out in faith, and the grace of God backs you up. There have been days where I get to the second experience, and, you know, first it was great, but the time I hit the second, I'm like, whew, what hit me? <laughs> And I'm like, okay, got to stand up, come on. But I have a point of contact of how I release my faith to grab on the anointing. So for everyone, it's the faith confession. But for me, when I say I take, I'm taking more than eyes to see and ears to hear. I take the anointing I need for this message. And that's what we have to do when you serve. You got to take the anointing. You stand on the same promise I remember when I served because I've been serving pretty much my entire life. I don't remember when I first started. But I remember when we started this church, and my parents moved down to help open this church, we didn't have enough volunteers at the very beginning. It was a brand new startup. And so I came in early with my dad to serve, to help set up, to get things ready in children's church. That's before we called a kids work. Why? This is what we do. We serve the house of God. So I've been serving all my life. 
So I never ask people to do something that I haven't done. I've served in every area possible. No, no, possible. Because then even after I, re- I received my call to ministry, Bishop made sure I served in every area possible. Come on, I've cleaned toilets. I've been in the parking lot in zero degrees. And at 100 degrees. I've done the whole spectrum. I've been an usher. I've served in kids' world. I've served in youth. I've done everything possible. So I never ask people to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I know how valuable team faith is. Because I've been part of team faith. And I'm so grateful for the hundreds of people who serve every single week. I'm grateful for the people who come out outside of Wednesdays and Sundays. Like the wonderful team faith that came yesterday to be a blessing during our homegoing. The people who come during the week to help out with different paperwork. It's like, oh, there's paperwork. There's just tons of paperwork. More paperwork than I like, but you need it. But you have these people who are dedicated to this house. And that's how things keep on going. People say, well, what does the church do during the week? You show up, we'll show you. <laughs> we'll show you. It's like, y'all really work more than 40 hours? Just show up. We got a revelation for you. But it takes all of us together. And when we do it together, it makes things lighter, easier to do. See, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplies. Every joint, every part of the body has a supply. According to the effectual working, the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. New Living Translation says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You as a joint of this body has a supply. You have an anointing. You have a grace. You have a supply that when you get where you're supposed to do, you get where you're supposed to be, your supply can flow, and the body grows and builds itself up in love. So more people can get saved and join the church because you're where you're supposed to be. The church will increase in love because you're where you're supposed to be. So, well, that area needs a lot of help. Well, I'll join it when they, when, when they get everything together. Well, maybe it's you who needs to join that helps it get to where it's supposed to be. Instead of going, well, they need help, they need help. Wow, they need a lot of help around here. Why don't you be helped? Hmm? Because a lot of people stand on the sidelines. But it's time to get on the court. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul's describing the situation he's in. He's writing from jail. He's writing from a situation that doesn't look good. But he says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation or my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The word supply means contribution. So as they prayed, they were releasing their supply. So Paul said, I'm confident through your prayers and through your supply, I'll get out of this situation. See, a lot of you released your supply when you prayed for this trip in Brussels. And that's why things lined up, because you prayed and you released your supply. There is supply that is released when you serve. There's a unique anointing on your life that nobody else has. That when we come together, it forms what we call the corporate anointing. And that we can do more things together than we can do as individuals, because we are better together. The anointing is stronger when we are together. The anointing is greater when we operate together in unity because that's a place where God commands the blessing. You can't be in unity if it's just you. The anointing is greater when there's multiple people in unity because multiple people are anointed and those anointings keep increasing and growing in each person. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. 
Say, I have a supply. Say, I am anointed. You must put your supply to work. You must put your anointing to work. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer. When it says all prayer, it means all types of prayer. Meaning there's more than one type of prayer. A lot of people think, oh, there's one type of prayer. I'm going to throw it up and see if it sticks. That's not praying effectively. There's many different types of prayer. Now, you study out not to know the rules of prayer so you can be legalistic in your praying. But you understand how you can cooperate with the Holy Ghost as you pray. Praying always with all types of prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watch it thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, how many of you know all saints? No. The Holy Ghost does, though. And when you give yourself to prayer, you can cover more saints when you let the Holy Ghost lead your prayer life. And for me, Paul says, pray for me. So if Paul can ask for prayer, that's why I ask for prayer. That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's also saying how much word in the revelation level that comes out of his mouth is connected to the church praying. But I want to focus on the first part here where it talks about prayer. Prayer here, because it's the end of the armor of the Roman soldier, is compared to the lance of the Roman soldier, which was meant to take out long-distance enemies. In other words, when you give yourself to prayer, you are providing air support. When you give yourself to prayer, you're providing air support for the troops on the ground. So especially, like, you guys couldn't go with me to Brussels, but you prayed, and so there was air support falling so that the will of God can be done. So yes, the Holy Ghost will stir up our spirit to serve. He will stir up our spirit to give. But he'll also stir up our spirit to pray. We must be a praying church if we expect to be effective. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Holy Ghost will stir you up to serve but he won't do it for you. The Holy Ghost will stir you up to give, but he won't do it for you. The Holy Ghost will stir you up to pray, but he won't do it for you. Likewise, or in the same way, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. The word infirmity means limitations or weaknesses. But I want you to pay attention to this word helpeth or help here. It means to lay hold along with, to strive to obtain with others, to help in obtaining, to take hold with another, to take a hold together with and against. Here's the definition uh, Dr. Rick Renner gave towards it. To take hold of something with someone else, gripping it together as tightly as possible, and throwing your combined weight against it and moving it out of the way. To take hold of something with someone else, gripping it together as tightly as possible, and throwing your combined weight against it to move it out of the way. So the Holy Ghost takes hold together with us and takes a hold together with us to go against something in the area of our prayer life. Because it says, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. That's our weakness or our limitation. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And he that searches the hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. The Holy Ghost makes intercession for us, not apart from us. But when you yield yourself to the Spirit and you begin to pray, he will pray through you. So he is not doing it apart from you. He is partnering with you in prayer and praying out the perfect will of God. See, the thing is, we have a limitation. In our natural state, we are limited to a certain amount of knowledge. You can pray for a certain situation, and you pray based on the scriptures you know. You pray in English or your natural language, and you're praying, but you know in your heart that I've prayed, but that matter is not settled yet. Because you're not praying out of your mind. You're praying with your understanding, but still listening to your spirit. And you know that as you pray, the matter is not handled yet. Well, how can I handle it in prayer? You have to pray in the Holy Ghost. You have to pray in the Spirit. you got to pray in other tongues. See, if you don't pray in tongues, you can be saved and still go to heaven. But your prayer life won't be as effective. There's some things like, well, I, I've prayed all I know in English. I've prayed all I know in my understanding. I've quoted and prayed every scripture I know. What do I do next? Hit it in tongues. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Take hold with the Holy Ghost with it. There are times he will stir you up to pray about a certain subject. Or there will be times there's a problem in your life that you're not stirred up about from the inside, but you just know it needs to be handled. You can stir yourself up, and you yield yourself to pray in the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost will take hold of it together with you. You're not in this prayer life by yourself. He will help you in prayer. And when you pray in other tongues, you pray the perfect will of God. You may say, well, I don't know what I'm saying. You don't need to always know what you're saying. Paul said, I pray with my understanding, meaning what I can understand, and I'll pray in the Spirit. He said, I sing with my understanding, and I'll sing in the Spirit. So that means there is a part for praying and understanding, praying with our natural language, praying to what level we know. But then there's a time when we need to switch over and hit it in the Holy Ghost. To pray in other tongues and to pray it out completely. Well, Pastor, when do I know that I've prayed it out? On the inside, you'll get a note of victory. On the inside, you have a note. Yep, yep, I, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. He said, well, Pastor, why don't I see that often? Well, you don't take the time to pray that way. But to get there, it takes time. You know, just because you start out praying to the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you feel inspired. You can actually feel kind of dry sometimes. And he said, oh, I'm going to pray in the Spirit. Man, you thought, oh, I've been praying for a long time. It's been two minutes. <laughs> and some of you get discouraged, like, well, well. And others say, well, I'm going to press on. But the thing is, it's pressing through whatever that barrier is. Sometimes it's about 15 minutes. You got to get going a good 15 minutes before you tap in, oh, I'm in the Spirit now. We have to take more time to intercede. To get into the Spirit and pray. Not just pray from our understanding, but pray in the Spirit. Let the Spirit pray through us. And if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you can be filled with it today. You don't have to wait or tarry. God will give you your prayer language, and you'll be empowered to be a witness. But we must pray in the Holy Ghost more. We must give time to pray. There are certain prayer projects that's going to take more time than you have in a day. So, well, Pastor, what do I do? You pick out a certain time of day and say, well, Father, I'm going to intercede concerning the subject, and I'm going to pray about it. And then what do I do next? You pick it up the next day. Then you pick it up the next day. Then you pick it up the next day. Well, how long do I keep picking up until it changes? So you get what you're after. So you get that note of victory. 
See, the thing is, I already knew we had the note of victory when we got to Belgium beforehand. So when all this stuff started popping off, I'm like, well, I already got the victory. We already prayed through this. I'm not going to stress out about it. You know, when they redirected me to Amsterdam, I was like, well, that just means I get to have Danish donuts in the morning. A nice, big, flat Danish pancake. I'll make up for those calories later. It just means I have a good breakfast ahead of me. So I stayed in peace because I knew we already had prayed through. It's old Pentecostal saying, praying through. What is that? You pray people through situations sometimes. Because some people are hard-headed. Don't think you've never been hard-headed. Anyone else ever been hard-headed before? But thank God somebody prayed for you. And you have to be willing to pray others through. See, when we talk about intercession or to intercede, intercession is a type of prayer. An intercessor is a person who, through praying, intervenes on behalf of another. So through praying and interceding, we were like Isaiah 43 to 5 concerning this Brussels meeting. We went ahead of time and made the path straight. We lifted up the low places. We tore down the high places. But intercession can also hold back judgment. Now, what is judgment? It's just another word for harvest. The negative side of judgment is if you've been sowing sin and wrongdoing. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There is a law on the earth. People think, well, because I sinned, this judgment came on me, so God did it. No, God just passed the law and said anyone who activates this law, they will receive this punishment. And so there's a time that sin doesn't always catch up with you like that. It takes time. It's like the case of Genesis 18 and Sodom and Gomorrah. That you'll see it in my notes. That it said, God said that sin was very grievous. It was very heavy. That cry reached up to him. And they sinned so much, it called forth a visitation. That God and the angels were going to go down to see if this is true and judgment was going to fall. But God is having a conversation with Abraham about something else. And he says, should I keep from him what I'm planning to do? And then he begins to talk to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it's important to Abraham, not just because it's in his backyard, but because his relative Lot and his family live there. He loves Lot. And he said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? How how dare you talk to God like that, Abraham? He said, peradventure, maybe, if there are 50 righteous people and these two metro twin cities, because it wasn't just two small cities, these were huge areas with suburbs. If there are 50 righteous people, will you spare the names? Will you spare the cities? Of course I will. So people are like, well, how do you know America will be spared? There's more than 50 righteous people in this room. America ain't going nowhere. And so why was judgment held back of Sodom and Gomorrah? Because Abraham said 50. And so he started working out, 45. Can I get 40? Can I get 35? Can I get 30? (laughs) Can I get 25? Can I get 20? Can I get 15? (laughs) He took this place of intercession and prayer. And God kept saying, yeah. Because you asked. Because you asked. Because you asked. Then Abraham got to 10. He probably thinks there has to be 10 righteous people in the twin metro areas and suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't, but Abraham thought there has to be at least 10. So he stopped off at 10. We know judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. But before it could fall, angels came to get Lot and his family out. Why? There was an interceding man of God. Lot was righteous. He was the one righteous person. So judgment couldn't fall while Lot was there. And so the angels grabbed Lot, 
grab his family, says, it can't happen until you get out, so you got to go now. And they took him out of the city. And judgment began to fall after he left. Why was it held back? It wasn't just the righteousness of Lot because he wasn't righteous now. It was because Abraham prayed. See, there's some things that will never fall in your family because you began to intercede. Some of you haven't received the whole harvest of you being hard-headed because your great-great-grandmother prayed and prayed that her bloodline would serve the Lord. And there's some things that should have hit your life but never hit because somebody in your family stood up and said, God, what if? They were intercession. They prayed. You know, all the credit for what my family does in ministry goes to a great-great-grandmother who prayed. She prayed that those who come after her would serve God. In ministry, she birthed what Word of Faith is. She birthed what this church is. She birthed the whole network. So not only will I get credit and all the people in my family serve God get credit, all the people of these churches get credit, but my great-great-grandmother, I've never met her. When I get to heaven, I'll get a chance to. But God's going to reward her. Because she prayed it out all those years ago. So even when Lot and his family were running out, you can read the story. Very interesting story in so many different ways. But he was going to take them to the, a certain area, but they said, well, instead of going to the mountain, can we go to that city instead? And the angel said, fine, judgment won't fall on that city. Just because they asked, hey, can we live there instead? Just because they asked. Some things, things happen in life because we just won't ask. We just won't be intercessors. And then the children of Israel, they went into the wilderness hundreds of years later, and they just kept messing up. They kept getting on God's nerves. You know, it was a bad sign because, you know, Moses is their leader and their pastor. And there was times when Moses was t through with them. He said, God, these are your people. Did I give birth to them? Did I nurse them? These are your people. And these are times God replied back and said, no, they're your people. You really don't want God and your pastor mad at you at the same time. That's just it's not a good thing. But there was one time judgment was falling on Israel and because they, you know, they turned away from God. And, of course, in a couple weeks, they started worshiping gold cows. And the cows didn't even say, eat more chicken. <laughs> and so God said, Moses, move back. Judgment's going to fall. I'll start all over again through you. And I'll do a better job through you than this mess right here. And Moses said, no, because if you do it, all the other nations are going to start talking. I ask that you forgive them for my sake. Because if you don't forgive them, take me too. What he did, he became an intercessor. He stood in the gap between the judgment Israel deserved and prayed, and God said, I will pardon according to your word. But notice what God keeps doing. Before judgment comes, he tells a praying person. Why? So that they can say, ooh, when the judgment happens, I can prophesy in advance and get a big TV show once it comes to pass? No. So they can stop it. You read through Ezekiel. That in chapter 22, that God looks for intercessors. He looks for people to stand in the gap. He looks for people to hold off judgment. And if no one stands in the gap, judgment comes. God says he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want judgment to come. He wants people to pray and repent. He's looking for people to stand in the gap and pray to hold off the results of the law of sin and death. So intercessory prayer can hold back judgment from the lives of others. But there's also another type of intercessory prayer. We talk about it as we close. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8. Remember intercessory prayer. 
is someone who intervenes on behalf of another through prayer. And it says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. When you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about we are Mount Zion. There is the natural Zion of the Jewish people, but there is the spiritual Zion, and that's who we are as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't replace the Jews. We just have a separate covenant that came through them. So as spiritual Zion, when we travail, we bring forth spiritual children. See, because Paul said in Galatians 4.19, my little children whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. If he tra travailed again, that means he travailed before. So he travailed in prayer for them to be born again. Then he travailed again for them to grow into the maturity of God. See, this is a form of intercessory prayer. When he's going into the regions of Galatia, he wants people to be born again, so he takes time to pray in the Holy Ghost. And as he intercedes in prayer in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost starts working through him, and it gets into a type of prayer called travail. It's where you see in Romans 8 where groanings, which cannot be uttered in articulate speech, it starts coming out in his spirit. And what is he doing? In the spirit, he is giving birth to churches. In the spirit, he's giving birth to people being born again. Before those churches could even be successful, Paul went into the place in the Spirit and began to pray. And as he got into the Spirit long enough, the Spirit could work with them to pray out those churches, to pray out these people being saved. Now, after these people were saved, he said, like, okay, cool, they're going to heaven, I'm good. But no, Paul didn't leave off and said, I travail again so you can grow up. So we can see a lot of people get saved, but what if they backslide? It's not just their fault, it's the church's fault, because someone has to pray them growing up. So I'm praying for you as you grew up spiritually. When you see people answer the altar call, you just need to end the week. Well, I'm praying for them this week. That they grow into the fullness of God. That they mature in the things of God. That they mature in the fruit of the Spirit and the wisdom of God. God surround them with good and godly friends that help them live this Christian life. You have to take it upon yourself to have your spirit stirred up to pray for your brothers and sisters at this church. And to pray for those in your 10-mile radius. To get into the Spirit long enough so the Holy Ghost can birth things through you. So that people can be born again, healed, saved, and delivered because you prayed. It will take time. So a pastor, it sounds like work. It is work. There's a part of prayer where you're fellowshipping with God. And there's a part of prayer where God is working through your praying. See, Paul said in Colossians 4.12 that Epaphras, Epaphroditus, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So Epaphroditus, or Epaphras as his other name is, would give a You may have little children. You may have a whole bunch of stuff, all these responsibilities. And what do I do? Find moments to connect. You know, I remember a woman of God who said well, her time to intercede in prayer was while she made dinner. And so her kids know that she would take the apron and put it over her head and say, if mama has the apron over her head, she is praying, don't you mess with her. And she'd be stirring the pot and interceding. You have to find your place and your time to connect. That no matter what 
your job description is or your responsibilities, you do have time to pray. You've got to find it. Because Daniel, as prime minister of an empire, had time to pray and intercede and hold back principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So if he could, you got time. You just have to find time. I remember Brother Cope was talking to some preachers, and he says, oh, I don't have time to pray. So, well, what are you doing at 3 a.m.? Sleeping. Well, you got time. <laughs> we all got time. We just got to value enough and go to work. The Holy Ghost won't do your praying for you, but he will pray through you. But you must take time to pray. If we expect to see people born again at an amazing rate, we have to be a praying church. One of the reasons I added extra prayer times when we pray during the month, like we have our upcoming prayer this Friday night at 8 p.m. We're going to take time, we're going to pray, we're going to get into intercessory prayer and pray out more people being born again. See, if we expect, we already know that Easter Sunday is going to be packed. More people are willing to come to church on Easter. It's American culture. So what we do before we even get there, we're praying because we don't want just people to come and make decisions and have converts. We want people to grow up. You know, there's a person who was part of the Second Great Awakening. You know, Charles Finney, amazing man of God. That he went to Rochester, New York and preached and 100,000 people got saved. Everybody in the city. Bars closed down. Things shut down because everybody saved. Nobody had any interest in all those things anymore. They all got saved. And they said something about his meetings. They said, even after he left, 80% of his converts stuck with it. 80%. Which when they began to compare to other awakenings and revivals, the numbers were far less of people who backslid or didn't walk with God or didn't mature. But he had an 80% conversion rate that stayed with it. And they said, well, why did he have such a high rate of return? There was a man who traveled with him and sometimes went ahead of him named Father Nash. Father Nash was a man of prayer. He prevailed in prayer. So sometimes he would go ahead of Charles Finney and just pray. He might take another prayer person with him, maybe two people, maybe it just be him. And he was like the Secret Service agents going before a president shows up. He would go into the town and rent a hotel room, and he'd just get into his prayer. And he began to travail. The Spirit began to pray out things through him. And then one time, he was, uh, Charles Finney was going to a city, and, they, and that time when they rented hotel rooms, you know, there was a room and board. But for three days, they didn't come down to eat. And, you know, the lady who's over the hotel was really concerned, so she opened the door and saw him and someone else on the floor. They're riding, they're, they're travailing. They said, Charles, I think you need to come check on them. Someone's wrong. I was like, oh, no, this has got the spirit of travail on. And what happened in those meetings? People got saved. Huge numbers delivered. And if something I found very interesting is after Father Nash went home to be with the Lord, Charles Finney's traveling ministry stopped. He stopped traveling and preaching and awakening. And became a professor teaching about what happened in the previous decade. Because it wasn't Charles preaching that did all the work. It was also Father Nash's praying. So one of the things that started last year, one of the things I had them go back to doing, I have people at every time we're preaching, praying in another room. Praying over this meeting. Captain Kuhn was the same way. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at wearefaithatm. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe 
that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at FCCGA.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.